Welcome back to the AEC Disruptors podcast, your platform to help push the AEC industry forward. I'm your host, Christopher Rodell, and joining me today is my co-host, Jackson Sinsat. What's going on, man? Doing great, man. Since we last recorded, you know, the Atlanta Braves are now the World Series champions over my Houston Astros. And, you know, I'm not bitter. I'm very happy for you. Thanks, man. Yeah, it seemed like every episode we recorded was right after a Braves win, so it's only fitting. This one is several days after a Braves World Series. Um, This guest today was uh, a cool guest. We had Randall Wilson. He is a design lead at Capital One. And what actually inspired us to bring him on was he was on the show Lego Masters, which was pretty cool. He uh, he's also a UX designer. We talked a little bit about um, talk about that. And then we also talk about the Hue Design Summit. Uh, which is a sort of unconference that they're designing for uh, black designers and really trying to inspire that uh, community. What did you think of the discussion? I thought it was one of the coolest ones we've ever had. Um, You know, it's a much different discussion than any we've ever had just because, you know, Randall comes from outside of our industry. Um, He did go to school for architecture though. Um, So that was kind of the uh, end. Um, But, you know, I learned a lot. Um, him talking about the Hue Design Summit and him being one of the founders of that, I thought that was super cool for him to take that initiative because, you know, it's helped a lot of different people um, on their career journeys. And then, you know, when we started talking about Legos, um, you know, my childhood fire just started burning because it was like, man, those are the coolest things ever. That's like the best toy um but he's doing some really cool custom stuff with legos and you know he's so good with legos that you know he went on tv for it you know so like he knows what he's talking about absolutely no it was a really cool talk to hear about um you know his perspective on ux design but then also just his journey with legos so i hope you get to listen to it enjoy and check back for more Welcome back for another episode of the AEC Disruptors. Uh, our guest today is Randall Wilson, design lead at Capital One. How's it going, man? I'm all right. Thanks for thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for joining us. I know you're tired. You're saying you just got back from long trip, <laughs> so I'm glad you're here. Um, to start off, we always kind of like to get a little background into you know our guests, who they are. I'd love for you to sort of tell us, you know, who are you? Kind of what do you do at Capital One and what I really want to know too is what kind of got you interested in this just path of design. Okay, so what do I do in Capital One? Um, so as a as a design lead, I'm I'm helping to to lead strategy and craft intent to uh, make sure that we deliver the best customer experience um, for for the products that we create and deliver. Um, and what got me in into design um somebody asked me this question yesterday like this whole weekend and i the answer that i always gave is i i couldn't tell you because the first memory of my life is waking up out of my parents bedroom and going into the dining room at four years old and starting to play with lego i don't remember anything before that in my lifetime 
So it's been on since then. Uh, you know, I think we'll get into that a little bit more with the Lego story, but I think a lot of people, that's kind of where they, uh, where they started. And so you, at the beginning of the career, because we have some commonality here, you went to Georgia Tech for architecture, did you not? Yeah, that was, it was local and at the time, top five architecture program uh, in the United States. So it made sense for me to go down I-20 to, uh, to college. <laughs> yep. So you went through all the torture that all us architecture grads go through. So what, what was the pivot? You went from an architecture degree to, you know, working in, I guess, what would now be UX design. What, what made that pivot for you? Hmm. I think it was a, a choice of, I had to, I had to salvage something. Um, I don't know why. I never learned this or picked this up, but it wasn't until maybe my fourth year of college that I realized that you had to get a master's in architecture to like really become a practicing <laughs> architect. And by that time, you know, Georgia Tech curriculum was not, was not, um, I was making it through, but I don't know that that curriculum really like whetted my appetite for more education. Um, I wanted to be able to, uh, jump out into the workforce immediately um I didn't really have a sense of you know what grad school would would uh entail so at the time I was already doing some graphic design on the side like creating flyers for um campus organizations and so during the time I was finishing my degree I made the pivot uh decided to make the pivot more towards uh graphic and, and web design and learn to code after college and then eventually all of that kind of uh, coalesced into the uh me being in the field of user experience design the uh yeah that was a harsh realization for probably a lot of people where it's like i've been through four <laughs> years of school and then they're like okay you have to do another two. Oh my god yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to be an architect like my whole life, partly inspired by Legos and also like living in a neighborhood where houses were being built so I could see that happen. Yes. And then I realized you needed that extra school and my parents knew that right away. So they were like, no, I think you should do something else. And at that time, the outlook for architects was, you know, not so hot. Um, so I pivoted over to the construction side. Um, but, you know, from construction, I realized, you know, maybe I wanted to get more involved in tech. And it sounds like that's what you did. And I'm having a hard time grasping what the difference is between UX and UI and whether or not people do both, whether they specialize in one or the other. So could you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So I think um, it's something that it's and I'll even back up outside of UX and UI because being a uh, formerly an email developer and art director, there's like a whole bunch of terms that get thrown around interchangeably that aren't necessarily true. So if you're a graphic designer, that doesn't mean that that doesn't always mean that you're an art director. Both of those things don't always mean that you're a user interface designer, right? So like graphic design, I think is more um like communication like delivering a message um it might include packaging uh it might include you know just like billboard flyers anything like that that's like communicating something 
as opposed to user interface, um, which is more about like how things work, the, the interactions that people need to fulfill in order to complete a task. And how does, how does UI make that, um, make that flow easy as possible? So that's context for what UI is in com comparison to other types of design. Now, for UX, that's more about how it works. So UI is about how it looks. User experience is how it works. Um, so user experience is more about um, aligning with user customer expectations. What are the jobs to be done that the customer expects to, to uh, complete or tasks that they need to do? And then making the flow so that uh, things happen in, in order, in a fashion that feels natural and intuitive and provides the answers to any questions that they may have in the process. I think the, another easy thing to think about is people that aren't necessarily in design, they know when design is not good. Like good design is invisible or it should be. So if something happens and they incur, encounter some friction in the process and they don't know how to resolve it, then that's when the UX kind of falters. And so that's the difference between UX and UI design. Um, and the last thing, some people do both. Um, we might call those people product designers. Um, and the added layer to that is, yes, they can create, or somebody like me, I guess, um, I'll, I can create the pixels for the, for the screens and the interactions. I can also work through the user flow or the expected user flow. The added layer to that is understanding business strategy, goals, um, tying these things with tech capabilities or constraints, um, aligning all of that with any operational requirements. So it's very layered, um, very layered uh, list of, of uh, design responsibilities and roles that uh, you can jump into. We've had conversations with other, um, other guests. We talk about designing um, software or all sorts of things. And, you know, from your perspective, how important is simplicity in terms of a UX design and a UI design for mass adoption? I think um, simplicity is good in in a lot of in a lot of flows when it comes to like onboarding offboarding things like that if you're trying to get somebody to get on an app for instance um simplicity is important just for uh i think people are used to convention like design conventions like oh I, you know i have this i have this email and password um these input boxes and this button is usually here i usually have you know, a text link for if I want to explore other options or cancel, uh, for instance. But simplicity um, is not good when there is friction that needs to be um, that needs to be present in a flow just to make sure the customer is doing what they intend to do. Like if they intend to cancel something, right? not making it super hard for them to do it because that's kind of dark UX trying to hide the action that they may want to perform. But it's more about um, assuring or, or making sure that the customer is, okay, this is the action that I intend to take um, and 
making it so that it's a uh, it's a final decision and everybody is aware of of uh, the the ramifications and the consequences of it right like if you cancel this this is what's going to happen yeah making it hard to uh delete something reminds me of a certain social media company that <laughs> i won't i won't as I, as, and as i was saying it i was like mm, flying too close to the sun but <laughs> you picked it up <laughs> i mean it's fine they're listening so um <laughs> No, you know, that's funny because there are times where there are things it's really hard to cancel subscriptions or get out of something. And clearly it's intentional because some people just give up and say, whatever, I'll, yeah. you know, I'll keep it. You mentioned, um, you know, part of your role is, is sort of helping to lead strategy. And can you talk, touch on a little bit, like, what does that mean from a UX designer perspective? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll hear things about business strategy and, and how does, say, developing strategy around UX roll up to other corporate business initiatives? Mm. Um, and this is something that I am, this is something that I'm getting better at day by day. I'll give you my interpretation of it um, and any other guests that you may have, they can, uh, they can add color to it. Hey, this is your time, man. It's whatever yeah. you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to addressing business strategy as a product designer, there's always a case of advocating for the customer experience. Let's say the business may want, may have goals that say, I want to do, I want to be able to I want them to be able to do X, Y, Z in order for us to make ABC. And as a product designer, UX designer, part of, the, part of the work that you do is discovery and research. So understanding the needs of the customer, figuring out what their wants are. And sometimes you might unearth that Yes, the business wants the customer to be able to do X, Y, Z, but maybe the customer wants to do DEF, right? So then it's our job to come back in the, in the room and, and advocate and say, hey, yes, you want to be able to do X, Y, Z. Customers are telling us they want to do DEF. Let's start to prioritize what, uh, what's important to the business given these other learnings and how do we start organizing um, MVP in that way, like wh how do we determine what's MVP, what's fast follow, um, and so that is how we affect the strategy and intent in a way that isn't that doesn't run counter to the business, but it just informs more of the intent that they have um, because sometimes uh, that adds more, uh, it makes the intent more robust. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so bringing those things to the table enables us to be more uh, thought partners than order takers. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. 
visit ASTI.com and let them know we sent you. One of my roles at um, Applied Software is Director of Innovation. And so I'm involved with trying to help build an innovation process internally. And I've actually um, read and heard a lot of good things about, I believe Capital One uses sort of innovation labs, so Mm -hmm. to speak, where ideas flow through. And so um, as a product designer, and maybe don't get into specifics, but um, with your role, is there a connection to those innovation labs that sort of Capital One has where they're able to sort of push stuff to, you know, you all to, to take further? Yeah, I would say that those, those labs you're talking about, they kind of, they're, they exist in the future mm-hmm. or, or try, to, try to jump ahead for um, maybe a few years and, and kind of unearth what 2027 might look like and how can we speed that process up. Looking at trends, um, looking at you know, purchasing trends, like people signing up for account trends, like other doing competitive analysis and seeing how people might use uh, or think of financial products and how they want the products to kind of serve them rather than them serving the product. And how do we uh, make our experiences more uh, organic and more relevant and intuitive for each person instead of just this, you know, like uh, standard out of the box thing. So they really are, a part of that evolution that we're eventually going to take. They just kind of have, um, I'll say gigawatts attached to their car. <laughs> so. No, I think that's good. You know, cause I, I've been reading, there's a couple of books that I've read on strategy and there's this concept of explore and exploit um, mm-hmm. your business models. And so what it really sounds like is those labs, and this is the case in a lot of places, they're exploring future business models, future potential, while there's another part of the organization that's really focused on exploiting current business models, you know, operational efficiency, making things as good as they can get. And it seems to be fairly prevalent kind of across the industry, but certainly there at Capital One. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's all really cool. So I want to pivot a little bit, you know, we've talked a little bit about the UX design, but some of the stuff that really interested us about kind of reaching out to you, maybe two things in particular. First is the, the Hue Design uh, Summit that I, I think you're a founder, co-founder yes. of, you know, I'd love to hear about, um, you know, what is it, what inspired you to start it? I think you were all just recently had or did have your fifth, is this the fifth yeah. one coming up? Um, see, I try to do some research on you. Um, you know, t- we do a little us- bit of research. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. We'd love to hear about what that is and, and what, what's it's aiming to do. Yeah. So um, I think this was, yeah, like you said, this, we just finished our fifth uh, consecutive Hue Design Summit this past summer in July, which is wild to say. It also reminds me that I'm five years older than when we started it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we started actually talking in 2016. Uh, there was a group me of, of, of black designers. Um, a friend of mine who also majored in architecture, Alfonso Jordan, uh, met, we met and he said, okay, I think I want to do something in terms of like an agency to kind of help mom and pop 
black stores and, and businesses. And then he had a friend that he worked with in Travel Noir named Tiffany Bricks. And she wanted to do something around like a retreat or an unconference. And so we started talking and discussing what that looks like. Um, the main thing that we wanted to convey is the, the, the vernacular and the conversation that we had in the group meet, we wanted to manifest in physical form. So we have, we're, we're, we're able to talk about um, design and just, and, and also just have a shorthand um, with, with, uh, with ourselves. So like we can talk about Frank Lloyd Wright. We can also talk about Frank Beverly and Mays in the same conversation. Mm-hmm. So being able to do that in a physical form um, and be in person was something that we wanted to do and make it uh, not a regular conference where everybody kind of has to be on, but trying to be more inclusive of um, introverts, for example, I am one of those. Mm-hmm. So um, thinking about how do we not just have the conversation, but have a place where we can learn from each other and it be not, everybody's not spoken to, um, but they're in conversation with each other. And so that's been the goal to kind of craft community in that way. They kind of have like co-learning um, mm-hmm. and also have a place that we can uh, thrive, just create more places that we can thrive as, as black designers. Um, so, and that was, like I said, 2016, 2017, there's other um, organizations and events that have sprung up uh, since then. And what we've been doing is kind of working in concert with them to kind of, to create an ecosystem for black designers of all types of, uh, of fields. We focus on visual design, user experience and industrial design. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just comes from the, the cross-section of majors that we have. A lot of us went to Georgia Tech. So those are the, those are what we majored in, but then also we've had people in fashion design, interaction design, like all type, like VR and AR stuff. So we're, we're trying to kind of broaden people's um, uh, experience of design. And also we serve not just better, not just veterans of design, but also people that are thinking about making a mid-career change right they may be working in something and say oh we had somebody that's that joined the collective recently that was an anthropologist and wanted to know how she might get into ux research and then came to the summit and now she works as a ux researcher why do you think it's so important to uh you know have people from all of these different industries and i'm sure you know as you have more of these conferences, you'll have Mm -hmm. people from like architecture and engineering who join as well, because, you know, they are also creators. Um, Why do you think that having cross-pollination between industries kind of fosters that, you know, innovation? Um, Like you go to this conference and you come back and you have a new perspective on what you're doing because you talk to um, somebody who does something similar but it's in a completely different industry. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I experienced it myself, right? Like majoring in architecture and transitioning over in a user experience, there's a lot of competencies that are transitory and that I can use just designing for context, um, like where you're designing, designing for customers. Um, there's, there's uh, and there's many more, 
but it wasn't hard for me to pick user experience up. And I know a handful of other architecture majors from my time at Georgia Tech that also have gone into UX, um, doing that research and having just having that type of skill and being okay, understanding where you're designing, who you need to design for, um, what the brief is, all of that type of thing. Like the process is very similar. And so I think for us providing that venue for people to appreciate other fields of design, um, they can also see those similarities, but also if they run into somebody that works in those fields, they know how to talk to them. They know what the, they know what the terms are. They know what the vocabulary is to be able to communicate what they need or they might want. Um, and also, again, just to expose them and say, hey, you know, it's not, it's not too hard of a jump for me to go from this field to that field um, because these things are so similar. So it's providing a lot of flexibility, but also comfort in that flexibility and telling each other, like, yes, you can do this because there's somebody in this room that's done it. Um, and this is how they did it and not hiding behind, okay, you know, I'll just give you my card. I'll talk to you sometime and never do it, talk to you again. That's very cool. Yeah, building that community is so important. Um, and, and especially, I mean, I, I can speak from architecture. It always seems to be a fairly small group. I mean, it's mm -hmm. large, but it seems like every time you turn around, the, um, you're running into those same type of people. So being able to sort of connect and cross boundaries is pretty cool. That's right. Um, so I'm pivot one more time and we'll kind of end it up on um, something that really sparked my interest. The reason we even brought or reached out to you to begin with was um, I saw that you were on Lego Masters. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure you've had to talk about this a ton. But, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, your first memory as a child was of um, playing with Legos. You know, I really am curious as to how you feel, um, you know, the experiences you've had with Legos in the beginning has one brought you to where you are today. And then we'd really love to hear about um, really all the stuff you're doing with Legos. I mean, we were marveling at your website that we were on the most incredibles. Yeah. Most incredible stu studio or, yep. um, you know, tell us about your journey with Legos. Mm. Um, I think, I'm always a person that loves to be creatively challenged and Lego's the perfect toy for that. I think over, over the course of my life, I've realized that's why Lego, that's why I'm drawn to the, their, their products and their, and their bricks because I can create something out of nothing any, every time um, and have it exist in the world which something didn't exist previously. Um, I enjoy the, um, I also enjoy the analog nature of it, it's being somebody that's on the computer all the time and having that be, you know, a hobby slash job, I can like kind of focus away from the screen and, and just put something together with my own hands and be able to point to it and say, hey, I did that. And even architecture, right? Like that was me saying in middle school okay, I guess I got to get a job in the real world. How can I make it as close to Legos as possible? So, <laughs> so um, over time, I've been able to, you know, get better and, you know, just be chosen to be on this TV show that a lot of people have seen. Uh, people have, even this past weekend at, uh, at Complex Time, people were talking to me and saying, well, there was a guy that, put, that looked at a picture of me and my business partner, Sarita. And he was like, oh, like, 
it's people from Lego Masters here. And then I was right next to the picture and they looked down and I was like, hello. And they were like, oh, like, <laughs> so that, so that's always funny. Um, but it's cool just to, because it, it's cool to have that experience because I wish, I wish I had Lego Masters on when I was a kid. I know. That would have been fire. Um, oh, yeah. So to be able to carry that forward is great. And also to, you know, work with Lego in some capacity officially after 30 years is, is a lifelong dream and something that I never thought would happen. Um, so Lego Masters has definitely given me that platform uh, for the stuff that I do with Sarita called Most Incredible, in which we put out hip hop inspired Lego pieces. Um, so she, Sarita is a hip hop archivist. So she, like she has a degree in it, like it's an act, it's a thing. Um, and so she's just archiving a lot of um, artists' memorabilia and things and, and uh, logging them in a way that can be kind of looked up, right? So she's also, her dad's an architect. She used to play with the architecture series of, of Lego set. And so at, after a time, she said, yo, I think I want to make, I want, I would like to see some, some hip hop theme stuff. And Alfonso Jordan, the guy that I mentioned earlier, uh, is mutual, mutual friends with both of us. So he mm -hmm. connected us. And so, you know, that Hugh connection actually borne out this uh, most incredible connection. And we've been rocking out for two, three years and um, having opportunities like Lego Masters and then, you know, recently Complex Con. Those, uh, the, the Legos on that website are really cool. Like those things are pretty that. awesome yeah yeah <laughs> hearing your story about you know playing with legos when you were a kid and you know pointing to it and saying you know i did that that's that's what i did as a kid so like my favorite lego sets were so i had like the big box and i would create skyscrapers out of it just out of the basic legos yes and then i had like movie ones so i had spider-man with like, yes. brooklyn bridge and green goblin it was the toby Maguire spider-man yeah, we were just talking those. about this before and like star wars and all sorts of stuff um and like i loved it so much and right around the time i got to be like 13 or 14 i was like i have to stop this <laughs> i know <They> but <laughs> but now like so then like i went into construction and everything and you know that's kind of what inspired me to get into the industry i think um and now like with the emergence of you know prefabrication and modular construction which are two aec disruptors buzzwords that we must say on every episode <laughs> it's just like uh legos to me um but like after talking to you and i've also got a good buddy who like buys a lego set every week and builds it yes. i'm about to go and find whatever the coolest thing is in <laughs> just get after it um yeah. but yeah I, talking about most incredible the wu-tang one is super cool <laughs> <laughs> but so you is know, the college dropout bear that is so that is so funny like i didn't think um first of all i i was i was kind of like you when you say that 13 you kind of stopped i kind of stopped a little bit in college i might have played at home I like I would get stuff at Christmas still, but I wouldn't mm -hmm. bring it to campus because I didn't think it was cool. Um, and it wasn't until that fourth year when I started transitioning out of architecture, I started bringing them back. So I understand the dark ages. I, I get it. <laughs> um, and as far as the Wu-Tang piece, that was actually a commission that somebody asked me to do for them. 
and I wasn't I wasn't quite sure if I could pull it off with quality. And then I had to had to like empty my mind like Bruce Lee, um, and kind of un unlearn some of the the ways that I thought I was going to approach it, and then did it a different way and and get the shaping to where you see it and. You know, the Jizza posted it on his on his Instagram like a couple of weeks ago, which was crazy um, because, like I said, it was just a commission. It wasn't like we put it out for people to buy, but it really made an impression. So it's it's wild to see, again, something that you made and put out into the world resonate with so many people. Right. So um, most incredible uh, studio. Um, what is your process for like you have an idea? How do you turn that into a, a piece? Um, um, we have an idea. So sometimes it comes from uh, anniversaries that may happen. So like, what's this year, 2021? We didn't do it. We didn't do anything this year. But like this year is the 25th anniversary of Jay-Z's first album, for instance, Reasonable Doubt um next year was 2022 um you should do a 22 twos piece with see? 22 to like so that's that's the process see that's kind of the process <laughs> that happens we're like okay it's something cheeky like that then yeah. we might do something <laughs> like that um and if it's if it's something that is kind of um like for example we're about to we're about to drop some fresh prints instructions it depends on like how strong it is, quite honestly, because there's something else that we're going to drop in February um, that, you know, people won't be able to buy the model of, but they can make instructions. It depends on, like, if I want people, if we think it'll be a good building experience for people versus, like, just a piece of art. And so um, sometimes at the, at the very beginning, it was just, okay, let's just recreate these logos or these objects. And then as of late, it's been... Um, we did something, we partnered with the Paley Center to build uh, like a TV inspired Lego build. And then we were like, hmm, I wonder what it would look like to put out a uh, Fresh Prince license plate instruction because like everybody knows that is yeah. um, along with the dice. Like I don't even have to say the theme song. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. So, <laughs> um, so it really is at that point a, a, a part of me actually building it physically um and then uh building it physically and then designing it digitally for pieces that i don't have and going back and forth to figure out like how do i do it and so uh it's a back and forth i'm usually the one doing it and it's fun it's just like a regular mock but i'm just putting out for people to you know either buy or or build themselves I want, I need an Outcast Braves 2021 <laughs> World Series. <laughs> AT Aliens. Yeah, can I get some AT Aliens Lego? Oh, that would be great. Um, I actually you know, thought I, about doing an Outcast piece a while ago, but I never got around to it. Now's so. the time, man. Yeah, I mean, it is. You can celebrate this World Series. You know, I was, I shared this with Jackson and it's kind of a story about Lego. I, um, I've been doing a lot of research while back just on, business strategy pivots and everything and lego story is actually pretty interesting i don't know if you'd heard of the story about 
uh, Lego in like 2004, they, they were struggling as a business yes. because they, they felt like everyone, all these kids were just playing with technology and, you know, kids just cared about instant gratification and instant results and all this stuff. And so they went to this like German town and they talked to this 11 year old boy. And what was really cool is they go in and he has his most, they find out he's a skateboarder. And his most prized possession is his tennis shoes that are just like totally scuffed up, worn out. And to him, that was a symbol of, I'm a great skateboarder. It took a lot of time to get to here to master this skill. And what they realized was even kids now, you know, the ones that grew up in the 2000s and beyond, they gain social currency by mastering a skill set. And they're okay putting time in as long as they understand they can have that mastery at the end. And so what Lego actually did was they made their bricks, their normal size. They made them more complicated. They made more detailed instructions because they realized that no matter how long it took as a child, when you could see and look at and say, I built that, that was the ultimate thing. It didn't matter how long it took or if I didn't get instant gratification. And I thought it was a cool story and a cool pivot. And it really speaks to, you know, both of you are all talking about like, I made that, I built that. And that's really what they doubled down on and said, you know what, that's what's important. That is a very, that is a very potent story. And I think that is, that is probably is, like you said, the reason why they were able to push past and it have such longevity. And it'd be, Lego is like one of the, one of the most fun um, open source languages that, that exist. Um, because anybody can contribute to it right like the way that it was told to me and is really cool to think about is all these sets like just like I created that license plate like all these sets that people make uh, that that Lego makes and puts out that's just somebody else's mock yep that creator series right so like all these sets like somebody else just made that for sale right so like it really it really it makes it not so daunting and, and makes it more of a, uh, an even ground to say, yes, like we all are contributing to this. We all are adding techniques and sharing these things and learnings with each other um, that then can be put into these Lego sets. They get put back out to us. So like it's a it's a full circle um, hobby. Oh, yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about those innovation labs. There's a concept of open innovation, and it really is that. I mean, that creator series was one of their big pivots where they open it up to people like you to mm-hmm. submit your design. And, and people are like, I want that. Um, you know, I walked through the toy store, I guess, Target the other day. We don't have Toys R Us anymore. I walked yeah. through Target the other, other day, and I mean, there's some really cool Iron Man, all sorts of ones that were created by individuals. And yes. so, I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, the those ideas um, sets. Yep. Yeah, I or like the black that. box. Yeah, right. And before that, they were just random. Like I remember the Back to yep. the Future sets. They oh, came yeah. out because of that, um, which I bought five of. So I'm a big Back to the Future fan. I don't know if y'all if y'all knew that. I'm looking at my background right now, and it's a picture of Marty and, and Doc from Part Two. <laughs> I did um, not know that. Yeah, huge. Well, man, we appreciate you joining us. I'm going to be looking for that outcast uh, Lego. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I need the ATLians, but uh, man, it's been fun. You know, I enjoy getting to hear about your journey and your inspiration with Lego. Any kind of final thoughts? 
Ooh. Um, any final thoughts? No, I, I design is fun. I, I, I exist to make, I would say. Um, and I'm glad that everything that I've been uh, involved in allows me to make. So I'm glad that I was able to, uh, to be here and share that with y'all today. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoy this episode. Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensat. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright applied software 2021.